And I'm coming to you with my podcast, Canning Shame. Shame is an emotion that no one wants to feel at any time. In fact, we go out of our way to avoid situations that we perceive as shame inducing. However, shame is something that we carry with us. Yes, all of us. No one is exempt here. Shame is an insecurity we hold about ourselves and within ourselves. You can't outrun it, it's not getting away. Who is this person, Ryan Silver? Who am I? Well, I'm a forensic criminologist. Actually, my full title is forensic behavioral criminologist. I've got 20 plus years under my belt. I have not only studied insecurities and behavior, I have lived well within shame. No one is exempt here, even someone with all the know. So what can I teach you about shame? All I can do is really talk you through the topics, explain them a bit more. What you take from that is hopefully a lot more positives and a bit more control of any situation you may be experiencing. Now, what does a forensic behavioral criminologist do? I hear the echo from out there. Well, this field of study covers an array of areas in the scope of things. Breaking it up, you can be a behavioural criminologist, a forensic behavioralist, a forensic criminologist. You get it. Swapping the words up swaps the career focus. I started this career path as a behavioural analyst, then a behavioural investigator, then a criminal profiler, then a criminal psychologist, to then a forensic criminologist, till I gained the title forensic behavioural criminologist. My last role, however, was a forensic criminologist. I loved it so much I didn't want to move on. I attended fatality scenes and performed autopsies. I was in the grit of it, up to my elbows, there really isn't anything I haven't seen and not much shocks me now. Now, I know that all sounds really dark, dealing with death, murderers, deviants on a daily basis, but actually my first degree was in fine art and my fourth degree was in photography. So yep, I also love creating art and fine art photography and I like to dabble in the kitchen, just thought I'd add that in there. I'll probably in future podcasts drop in a bit of creative work or meals that I've done or experienced as a little relief to such strong subjects associated with shame. When I tell people what I do, the first response is intrigue. Oh, that's exciting. That must be amazing. You must see such weird and wonderful things. Then the amygdala kicks in with fear that I can read their minds or I'm profiling them or I may infect them with death. Seriously, death must follow me. It's really just right there on my shoulder. And the follow-up question is always, why did you choose that as a career? I'm the typical behavioralist slash criminologist, redirected into it by personal experience or trauma. Yes, we can tick it off as trauma. I will go into a lot more detail through my podcast about them and obviously bring up a lot more other things because this podcast is personal to me. It's not just me sitting here as a professional stating to you things that's from a book. You know, the jargon, the theory. This isn't, this is tried and tested by me through personal experience. 
Now, the exact point my career became about crime and behaviour is when my son Connor was murdered. There was a lot of focus around his death because it wasn't someone random or someone close to him. It was someone in a trusted position and politicians used this for their own agenda. This was my catalyst to who I am today. Today I wasn't going to do any segment on any topic but something happened this week that has been all over everything. Can't escape it. Yes, I know, you all know I'm talking about the slap. The Oscars. The Oscars presents a night of shame. I'm not an Oscars watcher or such, but I do look at the pics on the red carpet and read who won. I do however seek out the memoriam. Yes, death, I know. I'm running with a theme here. I like the memoriam. It's nice to see people remembered for their accomplishments. I see who's there. If I don't know them, I IMBD them and I take note of who's been missed. This year we had Sydney Gautier and the last golden girl, Betty White, to only name two of the most incredible talent in the arts. But do you think I could find it? I found a terrible video, but it got me thinking how I haven't really heard about the winners apart from one for all the wrong reasons. It's like no one else won a thing. No one cared about who's gone. Plus, any of Amy, Wanda and Regina's hard work into the prep for this event was irrelevant. Where's the recognition for their hard work? Amy has since stated that she suffered trauma that night. This is vicarious trauma, when someone has an empathic response to someone else's trauma. It can trigger memories of past personal traumatic experience or be from fear kicking in saying that could have been me or that they personally connect with the victim. There's that attachment. Also Wanda has stated she felt physically sick by it. This is because they were behind the scenes with the victim, Rock, and seen personally the pain he was in backstage, emotionally and physically. So yes, today I'm addressing the Oscars, as it covers a lot of the topics my podcast of shame will be touching on, such as verbal abuse, fatalism, group mentality, individualizing values, vicarious trauma, like I've just mentioned, binding values, assault, workplace assault, and victim blaming. And I'll come up with more as I go along, probably. Trust me, I'll get to the meat of it. Anyway, so let's start at the beginning. Chris Rock, the primary host of the Oscars this year. He's not new to it. He hosts the 2005 and 2016 Oscars also. We know from any past award show that the host being comedians like Steve Martin, Ricky Gervais and Chris Rock is like a welcome to my house. Let me entertain you with some jokes in a mini roast session. I've only seen one roast and toast, the Biebs one. It was brutal. It was brutal. And I have to, have to put my hand up to Biebs. He sat there and took it on the chin what was getting flung at him. Couldn't name a single song or hum one but I was impressed on how he handled his um, roast and toast session. Anyway I digress. If they didn't want it they wouldn't hire comedians. Now when I say they I mean the event committee wherever it is, the Grammys, the Oscars, wherever event it is, they wouldn't hire comedians if they weren't looking for that kind of entertainment. Now I'm going to be the double advocate here. Bear with me. Be objective and bear with me. Could it be that the line fell completely on its ass by being misinterpreted. Now Jada is a strong focal public advocate of many things, many 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 things, including her alopecia. She is an empowered and doesn't hold back woman. She got in front of alopecia by taking the power and control back from it by shaving her head. That's power right there. She took away all the shame from alopecia by empowering herself, taking control and shaving her head. 
she stepped in front of it. She's an icon for a lot of women out there that are suffering from conditions that involve losing their hair. Luckily, alopecia is not a life-threatening condition but a lot of people feel defined by their hair. Hair's a part of someone's identity. So you got to admire her. A strong woman taking control. The front cover of Rose McGowan's book was her with a shaved head and the title Brave. Everyday local female heroes around the world shave their heads for charity and aid and support of those that lose their hair through illness. Jada with her statements and videos lifted any shame in losing your hair from alopecia, which is just incredible, absolutely incredible. The other woman who took control and the power back was Jordan O'Neill. For those who don't know who Jordan O'Neill is, which you probably do by now after the Oscars, it was Demi Moore's character in G.I. Jane. Now hear me out, granted it wasn't due to an illness, it was a choice due to her personal circumstances at the time that she had to make that decision to shave her hair off. Now, we are all on the cusp of a pandemic. Disasters, lockdowns and war. It is only natural to only see and hear the negative of anything at a time when social media is about bitching the fuck out of anything at all. The world has suffered big over the last two to three years. So it's natural with the lockdowns that people's empathy levels have depleted. You can only get empathy with active conscious interaction and the individual moral framework has been skewed. When you are in isolation in prison, thinking becomes about self, paranoia, panic, anxiety and aggression on top of depression. This lowers empathy to depletion depending on the length of time. So a world lockdown with only Twitter as your interaction with the outside world has increased social anxiety and fucked up social behaviour. If someone has isolated with someone close to them, family, partner or housemate, the chances are they are supporters of them and will validate their grievances they've had with outsiders, be it retail staff, work colleagues or even the postie. This is for single isolators too. They will always find a similar belief system on social media to validate their grievances. We're creatures of habit and when our habit has been set, it can be hard to change it. Working from home created a new habit. The news went from people in cupboards under the stairs crying while trying to do their job to fast forward a year and the news is saying companies are panicking as no one wants to come back to work. In the office, they like working from home because they have a new habit. My electricity rep had chickens squawking in the background while trying to sort my issue. She was unfazed. So following her example, so was that. It was cute. So are we only seeing the negative of Chris Rock's G.I. Jane line? That's me being the devil's advocate. For a refresher, the line was... Jaina, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. Alright? Could it have been a veiled compliment? And when I say veiled, I mean not fail, epic fail. I mean veil, like you wear at a wedding, the bride wears at the wedding and you lift up the veil. That kind of veiled compliment. In case the accent is throwing anyone out there, because I know sometimes it throws me. Anyway, let's look a little closer at G.I. Jane the movie. A movie that was released in 1997. I know that because I went to the movies to see it. Yes, very good movie. Jordan O'Neill, a lieutenant in the Navy, is given the opportunity to be the first and only female enrolled in the all-male arena of the Navy SEALs. Tough chick. Gender and the politics. All these go together because you know politics come into everything. So yeah, it doesn't go well. O'Neill isn't welcomed in and treated like shit. And you know what? The Navy SEALs during training are all treated like shit. So for Jordan O'Neill to be treated even more shit is shit. 
When we look at the guys in the forces, even to this day, and back then in all the old movies, you know, you see all the black and white movies, all their hair are crew cuts. When I was in the Navy, which yes, I am a Navy chick, chief petty officer at your service. That was the same. All guys had very short hair or crew cuts, but most women had buns. The rule for all was hair off collar, no exception. So it was buns for us. During my time in the Navy, due to a medical condition, I had to shave my hair off. I had a lump on the lower part of my spine at my tailbone that had to be treated and removed. So my hair was falling out. So lost hair that touched my ass on one fell swoop. Now, I look back at videos and pictures of me back then with my short back and sides and over hairsprayed front flip. It was like a flying saucer. You've got to picture the 90s. Hairspray, decade. If the wind caught it, it stood to attention. I didn't have to salute at all. <laughs> I did look taller, not just because it was standing to attention. I actually, just my whole posture looked taller. I looked stronger and I looked more personally together, actually. It was actually, it's quite empowering to watch. I've thought about doing it again. Um, I, Few years ago I did, my hair was falling out due to a medical condition, but it didn't all fall out, but I had to cut a lot of it off. It just went up to just below my ears. Anyway, I digress again. G.I. Jane, what is G.I. Jane really? It's a movie about female empowerment. That's what it is. It's a test between a woman's body and a woman's will. It was a powerful movie that will boost most women's spirits. Well, it certainly did mine. Maybe that's why I heard Rock's line as a compliment. This is my opinion on this situation. I have studied psych, behaviour and crime for over two decades, but it's not like one plus one equals two. It's not an exact science. It's just another perspective to consider with all the tools of understanding human laws of behaviour. Anyway, back to Demi's incredible performance, making you feel like you could do anything. Seriously, you walked out there feeling like, yeah, I've got this, haha. <laughs> You know, the shave scene in the movie carried so much emotion as she looked down at the trimmers and then to her reflection for some time, assessing the situation. You can see the inner struggle, the fear and the anxiety in her eyes and her posture. It was, it was like she was cuddling the trimmers, like, you know, are, are you going to be nice? Are you going to protect me? What do I do here? She takes that leap of faith off the cliff and trims the first part from back to front. So there's just no going back. There's no there's no covering it up or hiding it or, oh, that was an accident. You know, I watched some videos because it turns out that scene was done in two takes. She had to wander around for a good part of the day with half her head shaved. Demi has done, yeah, talks and videos about this. And she says that the weirdness and how her humor handled it was different and unique, you know, and it made you realize what you're all about. When all finished anyway, she is standing there in front of the mirror looking at herself. She rubs her head all over, reintroducing. This is reintroducing herself to herself, that this is, our sense of touch is pivotal to us. It was like, hello, this is still me. She was really becoming one with her dramatic new look. And good gosh, fuck, did she look hot? Go Demi, go Demi, go Demi, go Demi. Oh God, yeah, she looked hot. She really did. And she was still amazingly feminine. Yes. If only we could all look like Demi and Jada. I don't look as good with my shaved head. Well, I still look nice, but nowhere near like them two. Seriously, come on. Beautiful woman, get away with any haircut. Anyway. 
I found an interview by Demi's daughter Talua in the 2020 People Mag, so that's two years ago. 23 years after her mum shaved her head, Talua shaves hers and says to People Mag, if I could feel beautiful with no hair, then I will literally feel good in any situation. Yes, loving these women. Why the strength? She's nailed it. That was two years ago. That was Demi's daughter two years ago. Now, I've gone into so much detail about G.I. Jane on the account that after the slap while Smith was verbally abusing Rock, Rock was saying it was about G.I. Jane. He was really forceful on that. It was about G.I. Jane. Rock's change in tonal range here in trying to accentuate the intention behind what he said with the intentional slow unaggressive walk towards Smith with direct eye contact and with his open upward facing palm extended. His hand motion is a gesture of honesty and trust. It is a positive gesture that depicts a non-threatening submissive manner. It is reminiscent of pleading. Regardless of the words, as we know, communication isn't everyone's forte. The eye contact, slow movement, and hand gesture demonstrates no malice was intended and miscommunication has taken place. So I felt the connotations, denotations, and interrespectives of G.I. Jane had to be talked about. What the meaning was behind the movie, what it all meant, and it was truly based on women empowerment, equality for women and strength and women's body versus ambition and will. This movie was really actually so far ahead of its time in the sense that Navy SEALs didn't open to women until almost 20 years later after G.I. Jane in 2016 and the first female to ever get through SEAL training was in 2019. Yes, 2019. 22 years after Demi showed us how to commit and get what you want in a male arena. Incredible. You can tell I was excited about the movies. I get, I like movies. I get very excited about movies. There will be a lot of movie references through all of my podcasts. So I hope you like movies. And if not, and if you haven't seen a certain movie I talk about, go and get it. Have a watch. Back to Rock. Look, it could have been as simple as Rock reacting to Jada dressed in green with her shaved head and connecting that to Dewey Jane. Basic connotation. However, through studying his tonal range, his body language, his eye contact, I don't see a basic connotation. I see a misunderstanding. I think it was about what the movie represents. So yeah, let's break the incident down on a behavioural level. We all know the line. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it, all right? Let's look at Jada's response. She was leaning to her side with her head tilted, demonstrating she was comfortable, a smile, and watching Rock with pleasant amusement. Two seconds after the line, her body language completely changed. While Smith's was still relaxed and laughing with no restraint at all. Now, I will add here though, it takes 0.6 seconds to react with anger. In this situation, it took Jada two seconds to react. It wasn't anger. So let me break it down. It starts with her eyes closing and opening and her eyes looking up as they open. This can represent her looking at possible images in her head while overthinking something she's just heard, a word, a line that has triggered an adaptive unconscious. Now the eyes roll in exasperation, commonly from hurtful jokes or sarcasm. So it did affect her. 
she's looked up, she's recalled the movie, she's instantly went to the shaved scene and became exasperated. However, her eye roll was slow and deliberate in a way of saying, I'm fatigued in hearing this yet a bloody gain. Now, two seconds into Jada's physical and mental reaction to Rock's line, she has a one-eye wink with a stretched top mouth, highlighting how unimpressed she is. Now her hands are fully clasped together at this stage after a visual demonstration of look at my hands, they're saying I have strong feelings on this topic. I'm going to get frustrated. She's now sitting up straight. This is her becoming more focused on what is going on with some defensiveness because she didn't turn fully front-facing. It wasn't full defensiveness. It was more, fuck really, we going there? The final posture reaction to Rock is the side eye look with non-verbal language. She is saying to Rock, seriously, are you serious? That was her response. It was more fatigue, being unimpressed, exasperated, and ugh, seriously, I really can't be bothered dealing with this now. Now, during all this, Smith is oblivious to Jada's reaction and is having a good old time, barely laughing away. The camera pans away, and this is when the real shit went down between them. Now, anyone that has been married knows that the frustration you get with your man when he isn't reading your body language and getting it all sorts of wrong. Well, Smith, he did. A side glance to the wife would have given him a heads up on, calm that laugh down, darling, or we are having words at home. His reaction versus her reaction says they were definitely in for a tense trip home. As a hubby facing the array of words at home turned her unhappiness at his belly laugh and her seriously feeling towards Rock into a moment for redemption from his wife's wrath. His adaptive unconsciousness came up with an immediate response of rage. He had let her down with his physical reaction of laughing too hard to the line and felt he had to make a physical reaction of similar way. These are our most primal emotional responses. Happy, sad, anger. Smith walks up on to the stage and slaps Rock. Rock puts up no defence, no instinctive defence reactions, no ducking and weaving, no raised arms. It was a clean slap. This has raised the debate on was it fake? <laughs> well, Rock has a learning disability. Yes, Smith assaulted a person with a disability. He can't read body language. He can't pick up on social cues. NVLD, non-verbal learning disorder, is in the go-to guide for doctors DSM-5, closely relates to autism, but it isn't. It's closely related. They also don't get sarcasm. If anyone has watched Sheldon and the Big Bang Theory, you get it. Rock went public two years ago with this in 2020. This explains why there was no defense from Rock and pure surprise. Look at Smith's body when slapping. He puts his entire body weight and strength into hit. His feet are positioned for full hip support. Anybody watches boxing can see that this is a stand of strength to get full body weight in your shoulders. The slap came with a great deal of force and it could probably be heard a room away with, without the mic, seriously. Anyway, post slap, Smith does his wild, wild west swagger off stage. Yes, I actually did like that movie. I know that people have ripped it apart, but I really liked it, it was funny. Anyway, he swaggers off stage. He was standing tall, shoulders back, chest out, head and chin up, demonstrating his righteous and confidence. Now look at his line of sight. He is walking tall while looking over at Jada because he's demonstrated his strength and regained his honour with his wife. Mm. 
there's some serious limited thinking going on there. Seriously, a bit more spatial thinking would have mind matched the consequences of this response to a huge no. Nope, no, nah, don't do it. It would have been next new idea on how to handle this situation. Rock, on the other hand, is taken by surprise, kicked off his rhythm and takes a full 15 seconds to collect himself, enough to crack a joke, but it is laced with inner pain, anxiety, and he looks a bit lost on what happens now. Anyone with anxiety knows 15 seconds feels like an hour. Seriously, it took Jada two seconds to react with being unimpressed and fatigued with the line, but it takes him a full 15 seconds to try and regain himself regain his posture. He looks around and over to fellow staff of the Oscars behind the scenes for support, guidance, aid. You see his body language change because nobody's running to him. Nobody, nobody's running to support him. Nobody's running up to say, look, this is enough. No, that's just, that's not on. Nobody's coming to his defense to say, you cannot physically assault someone here. He has gone from being confident nervousness movement around stage while he was doing his performance to his shoulders lowering. He has now been weighed down. Well, he exhales a strong sigh, demonstrating sadness. Both these actions at the same time can demonstrate a low mood with depression fringes. You see him processing the situation and attempts to re-establish composure to continue hosting. However, you see his eyes and you hear his tonal range that the joy is no longer there. It's just been ripped away. That one second of being slapped, the joy of hosting one of the biggest events of the years for the arts industry is gone. And it's replaced by shame, humiliation, because it wasn't just in a small group and it wasn't like local TV, it was worldwide, live, in front of the biggest, most influential people in the world. The question is, what effect has this slap had on reactions? It's a mixed bag. There are those that condemn it and others that condone it with a party bag mix of reasons why. They all go to the negative connotation of... Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. This is in blaming rock for what happened. Isn't the culture of victim blaming over? Really? Seriously? With all the coverage, aren't we more PC on situations like this? Apparently not. Blaming a victim is still rife. The cop out, they had it coming, is why we have so much legal injustice through unconscious bias. So what is victim blaming? Why are people prone to it? And do they know they are doing it? In most cases, no, they don't. They don't know or why they're doing it. It's a psychological reaction to a crime. Triggered by fear, there's a strong internal need to believe that people deserve what happens to them. They deserve the outcome and consequences because bad things don't happen to good people. Now this is their inner psyche trying to make them feel safe. It's an instant natural response. They need to feel safe. However, for the loved ones of the perpetrator, like Jada, they reconcile the fact that someone they love has done something bad by over empathizing with the perpetrator, by focusing on their achievements and attributes, and by doing so, throw shade on the victim. Victim blaming. In this case, Smith's wife and son have done just that. Now, putting on my criminologist hat for a moment, in this case, Smith is a perpetrator. By hitting someone, he has acted within his own moral framework out with social standards. He has committed assault. There was no self-defense, it was clean-cut assault. He is a perpetrator regardless of wealth, fame or stature.
This should have been one of Smith's greatest nights in his career, no doubt about it, and he ruined it by committing a criminal act. Yes, it is a crime to hit someone. How would you like to be hit over something that you've said that somebody doesn't agree with? It's simple. You don't want to get hit, do you? You're not going to stop talking. Just like, hey, I'm not going to stop talking. I like talking. Everybody likes talking, but I don't want to hit. No matter the reason, anyway, unless in self-defence, it is GBH, grievous bodily harm, and comes with an arrest, charge and penalty. Anyone else would have been arrested there and then. I tell you, would have been arrested there and then. We're, we're trying to cut down on these one-hit offences. And you've got this influential actor going on stage, live TV, promoting the single one-hit, making excuses about his validity. Let's look at Smith's behaviour when he sat back down. He actually then continued the assault on Rock with emotional abuse by continually yelling profanity at Rock. Profanity is a reflection of anger, fear or passion with the intention to inflict emotional pain and incite violence. Rock's attempt to calm Smith's tirade with highlighting it was about G.I. Jane fell short like we had previously discussed. Smith was in too deep at this stage anyway, he was out of control, all his inner composure. He was now functioning on full visceral emotion. In response to this, Rock's inner self-defence mechanism became submissive to Smith. He relinquished all control of the situation to Smith, the perpetrator and abuser. At this stage, the only shame Smith was demonstrating was shame towards his wife in his laughter at the G.I.J. in line. Smith goes on to give a winner's speech on, this, on the same stage. <laughs> now, really, what was wrong or right with Smith's speech? Start with was the standing evasion. Seriously? The guy has assaulted and abused someone in front of you on that stage and you're standing applauding him? That would have made Rock's self-worth feel the size of a bug. That's like abuse all over again. It's like it getting redone, redone, redone. What was demonstrated here was fatalism. The attitude that what has happened is ordained and an internal resignation to the event. It commonly comes with group mentality, adopted from emotions influenced by their peers rather than rationality, because they completely disregarded their individualizing values. Oh, the shame a lot of them will be feeling and struggling to rationalise with their actions right now will be immense. Now that they're away from that situation, they're away from the peers that were around them and putting on a front, they've got to now deal with their inner moral framework themselves. And good luck with that one, seriously. During this speech with Smith, he was crying, explaining that he isn't crying because he won an award. He gave various reasons why he was crying, basically explaining away the shame of what he'd done, projecting the blame and the shame of his actions onto others. That is manipulation. That's actually really quite serious because that means that there's a serious personality disorder there as well when it comes to such serious manipulation. How did he project blame and shame and his actions onto others? And what was his excuses? And where did he go wrong and right? Okay, so I've got seven points that I've pulled from this speech. Point one, Smith says, Richard Williams was a fierce defender of his family. During the film, he had to protect, exaggerated, protect delicate people. Okay, let's look at that first. These delicate people, according to the speech that Smith is referring to, are the co-stars and the Williams sisters. Seriously? He's an actor playing a character on a managed set. 
Not a security guard getting them out of a war-torn country. Also, Smith alluded that he was being just like Richard Williams. Haven't seen the movie, but that doesn't sound very positive for Richard Williams, does it? Point two. He is overwhelmed on what God is calling on him to do. He's being called upon to protect, again emphasised, people. Again, the protect again. He's really trying to play up this new narrative. He's really trying to reframe what went down earlier. But again, Smith isn't in a war. He's at a glitzy event where he got a red carpet and 200,000 star table service. Plus, how many wars, barbaric acts or suicide bombings have occurred under the name of God calling on them? You're at the Oscars. Seriously, you're not in Afghanistan or Ukraine. Three. He's expected to be able to take abuse and have people talk crazy about him and disrespect him. He's got to smile and pretend. The fact is, Smith didn't have any abuse given to him. He wasn't disrespected by Rock. The line was towards Jada directly, as he named Jada, and Smith found it very funny. No pretend smile there, as we discussed earlier. This is what abusers say when trying to relieve the shame from the aftermath. It is called trying to change the narratives, like I said, and, and reframe it. It's trying to confuse others' recollections of what occurred. But, mmm, 2022. We have auto replay and TikTok. It just makes you sound even more desperate now and it will pull up on all your personality trait flaws. Point four. Denzel says, at the highest moment, the devil comes for you. It's got an applause. Smith seems to have misinterpreted this while in his deep narcissism and panic to relieve his burden of shame. This saying relates to introspective into being introspective. Introspective is when someone needs to observe and examine one's own ego. Denzel was talking about Smith's inner devil coming to get him, not Rock, about Smith's own behaviour because he's feeling above everybody else. He was basically saying, come down a peg or two. But Smith missed that because his deep narcissism was running riot. Point five. I want to be a vessel for love. He wants to be an ambassador of Richard Williams' love, care and concern. Again, bring it all on being like Richard Williams that the Williams condone violence and abuse and he's confused love, care and concern with the right to respond with violence. He's flipping that on to being just like Richard Williams. As I said, I haven't seen the movie. But I've seen the documentary, but it doesn't sound good for the Williams family, does it? Point six. Apologises to the guests, to the Academy. Blank space was there intentionally because that's where the apology ended. Smith clearly knows his actions were shameful or he wouldn't have apologised. This is his only right in this speech, so he's going to get half a point for it. But after all he has said about Richard Williams and the whole makeup of the film with love, care for them and protecting, he's counteracted all of what he said previously, his need to protect, being called upon, being like Richard Williams, burden to become a better man and be a protector. Yeah, he, he's completely threw that under the bus by apologising to the Academy. He's basically said that he wasn't being called on to protect others. He has now thrown shade and shame onto Richard Williams. Really serious shade and shame onto Richard Williams. That's why he's only getting half a point for that one. Point seven, final point. Love makes you do crazy things. Mm. 
many people did that make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up because I know it did mine. Just when he should be apologising to Chris Rock after apologising to everyone else, he says this. Now how many domestic violence victims and stalker victims have heard this line roll out of the perpetrator's mouth? I done it because I love you. Love makes you do crazy things. Oh, don't mistake that for, you know, anything but my love. Nobody will love you the same way I love you. Oh, it just... Sometimes I feel that I can't express enough in words really just how wrong this is. It, it was so shameful and a mass form, not just by Smith, but by the entire building. Everybody in that building were shameful. Okay, I'm going to finish this off with a little bit about moral framework and ethics. You know what? Let me get some water. Oh, that's better. You know, I got this candy bar at the store earlier and if I wanted to eat my carpet, I could have done that for free at home. Now, I was out grabbing some essentials to do some washing. I spotted in the checkout point of sale bit, you know, the bit where the stores cause kid and parent disputes. Well, <laughs> being an adult, I got to relive some kid memories when I spotted a Milo bar. I was like, woo, the lottery! So excited. I was so excited I cracked it open as soon as I got in the car. I couldn't even wait to get my seatbelt on and pull out space. I was like, ooh, I'm gonna go this my little bar and get in the space and I'm driving along and I take a bite. Ah, oh, seriously, it was no Milo bar I remember. This had zero happiness, pleasure, milkiness, and absolutely deprived in any way of pure and unadulterated delight. It was dust compressed in the carpet form. If you give that to your kids, They'd emancipate you thinking that you hate them. Seriously. This is not an official sponsor for my love. Anyway, I completely sidetrack. Back to morals and ethics. I tell you though, this Milo bar has to be morally long. Not a great ad for health food, seriously. Anyway, again, again. Where was I? Where was I? Yes, moral framework. It's designed to make sure we have common values that make for a safe society. We all know violence, be it physical or emotional, is wrong. This is why we have laws against it and we spend billions a year campaigning against violence, physical and verbal. The posters are everywhere, you can't go in anywhere. You, you go to the doctors, you go to the hospital, you go to a shop that says we will not condone verbal abuse, we will not condone physical violence. Ethics is the same thing, giving us personal responsibility to value everyone's right to be safe from wrongs. It's code of conduct, it's a personal code of conduct. You've, you know, you get that list on the walls against bullying, integrity, respect, ethics, all the rest of it. So the question is, was Smith morally and ethically right to hit and verbally abuse Rock with what he perceived he heard? The answer's simple. It's no, 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 no. Regardless of his speech and attempt to change the narrative and the supporters of Smith's actions, seriously, good question, their morals and values, it was morally and ethically wrong. If we were to react to everything we interpret as offensive, be it correctly interpreted or misinterpreted, then chaos would occur. Society standards would fall and no one would be safe. We'd go back decades. People would be getting slapped everywhere. They'd get punched everywhere. They'd get beaten up everywhere. Chaos in society. We all see the videos going around of people getting escorted out of places or buildings like Target or restaurants for being violent or 
or just getting pissy over something that doesn't sit well within their moral framework. We laugh, I've laughed, saying good riddance, serves them right, karma's a bitch, for being wrong and feeling empathy for the worker. This is the same situation. Smith was a visitor to Rock's place of work. As the MC for the night, he was at work, plus the fellow host and the Oscars committee. Now, being a guest in this business establishment, you don't physically or verbally attack an employee and expect to stay. No, you get hoisted out and you land on your ass. Smith not being escorted from the building and spoken to by law enforcement has brought shame on the entire academy. The academy now has to deal with, with the shame of not protecting or respecting their employee. They have to demonstrate how they would protect their employees in the future as they didn't set an example of policy or procedure of code of conduct that night. Are the other comedians walking around the patrons safe? Will they be safe in the future with the example that has been set? These are all valid questions. Will it be the same? So for being my first episode, I wasn't going to do any topics, but I did. And thank you for bearing with me and I hope you enjoyed the segment. I really do. And I hope you'll come back to see some of my other topics, which, you know, I'm going to be talking a lot about all different things to do with um, corporate culture, precarious trauma, confirmation bias, conviction bias, group bias, all sorts of biases, every bias under the sun. Yeah, a lot of them. And all these topics I kind of talk on about tonight as well. I'm going to talk about them. Now, I, I'm going to finish this topic by basically rounding it up, being objective, my personal viewpoint on this. For those that are supporting the actions of Smith and those who stood up and let Rock suffer the shame and physically and physical pain of being physically and verbally assaulted with either amusement or righteousness by putting it down to Rock getting what he deserves, victim blaming because he made a fool of Jada's alopecia and brought shame onto the condition. Well, that really is a well-stretched assumption and a complete and utter fucking cop-out. Alopecia was never mentioned. G.I. Jane was a very strong, empowering woman just like Jada. Thank you again for joining me and if you want to hear more podcasts I suggest you subscribe to my channel and you could probably chit chat about some art and cooking. It can break up these heavy topics trust me especially if it's touching a nerve because you know everybody's going through pain. I want to help relieve a little bit of that pain by letting you know that you're not alone. Through our episodes as well you'll get to know me a bit more personally and I'll get a bit more up close and personal with you. I'd like to get to know more about you too so if you do want to reach out reach out. If not, just uh, I'll see you at my next podcast. I will be posting every week on Tuesday. So I look forward to seeing you then. Bye all you beautiful people. Be safe, be happy. And remember, you're not alone. Love is all. Big hugs. And remember to self-hug. In the morning.